Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look back at the Wafu Cup, where the host Senegal beat Ghana in the final of the West African Regional Tournament. All 22 games in the 16-day-long tournament were played on the same pitch. Was this acceptable? We're still struggling, which of course should not be like that. We should be evolving by now. You know, 21st century, we're still struggling. And as Manchester United hosts Liverpool in the weekend's big game in the English Premier League, Stuart looks at the meaning of this fixture that brings together the two clubs that have been England's most successful over the past 40 years or so. That's coming up, but let's start with the biggest global sports story of the week, the racist abuse of England players by home fans in Bulgaria on Monday night in a Euro 2020 qualifier. The match was stopped twice because of racist behaviour, which included Nazi salutes and monkey chants, in one of the ugliest episodes of racism in football. The president of the Bulgaria Football Union has resigned after the country's prime minister called for him to quit. UEFA opened disciplinary proceedings against Bulgaria, charging them with racist behaviour. The UEFA president, Alexander Seferin, said that the football family and governments need to wage war on the racists. And FIFA president Gianni Infantino said that we probably also need to think more broadly on what we can do to fix this. Now, one of the biggest questions is, should the England players have walked off rather than continue with the match in light of the abuse? UEFA has a three-step protocol. The first step involves a message over the PA system at the stadium. Step two, seeing the referee take the teams off the pitch for a period. If the players return to action and another incident of racist behaviour occurs, the game is then abandoned as the third step. Now, England manager Gareth Southgate said he had conversations with the referee and that the players wanted to play on, some saying as they didn't want the racists to win. So if the England players had simply decided to walk off in protest, it's not clear what the consequences would have been, though it's very possible that UEFA would have regarded it as justified and possibly have awarded the game to England. So, Ida, this is just the latest in a lot of recent incidents of racism in European football. What do you think? Should the players have walked off? You know, I was reading an article recently that was talking about the black man being alone in the fight against uh, racism in football. And of the more recent scenarios, Steve, I don't think any scenario showed just how alone the black man is more than Moise Keane at Juventus versus Cagliari, where, you know, the 19-year-old was basically, you know, provoked throughout the entire 90 minutes. Only later on, for his own coach and his own captain, that being Allegri and Bonucci, insinuating that Moise Keane was also to blame for the provocation. I mean, look, how low does it really have to get? And this is how the authorities talk at the dinner table, you know, without the cameras and the recorders. This is how they talk. And I absolutely do agree with the fact that the authorities have failed. You look at it. What has FIFA done? You know, what has our very own CAF done? How many times, Steve, will we talk about kicking out racism? The players go out onto the pitch wearing black armbands. How far? Has that gotten the situation? 
You look at the more recent incidents, you know, the Moyes Keen, Romelu Lukaku, Paul Pogba. You look at Salim Montari and how traumatic that was a couple of years ago, you know, as recently as a few days ago in Sofia, Steve, for the Euro 2020 qualifier between Bulgaria and England. And you saw how that escalated. And, you know, I was seeing a lot of people making a lot of calls on social media that, look, the English players should have walked out of the pitch. Let me tell you, UEFA would have probably imposed much heavier sanctions on the English players for walking off as opposed to Bulgaria for their racist provocation. And, you know, later on, I did see FIFA release a statement and I'm going to quote um, Gianni Infantino here, who said that all competition organizers should enact regulations which envisage life bans from stadiums for those who are found guilty of racist behavior. He went on and said that FIFA can then enforce such bans at a worldwide level. I thought that was directly absolving himself of the situation, if you ask me, Steve. The directive should be coming from the top to the bottom, not the other way around. FIFA, as the world governing body of football, should be able to give directives, should be able to met out punishments and regulations and policies on how this situation will be handled. But it's not, you know, and something definitely needs to be done. And it's much easier to do it, Steve, than the authorities would have us believe, I think. So a lot of issues there and I had a feeling that the England players walking off might not have achieved much and that there are deeper issues among them FIFA stance and leadership when it comes to racism in the game. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, should the England players have walked off following that racist abuse in Bulgaria? As I say, it's not clear what the consequences would have been, but possibly UEFA would have regarded it as justified. So what do you think? Should the players have walked off? Uh, As Ida says, there are perhaps deeper issues to address. You can give us your thoughts on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to the Wafu Cup, which ended on Sunday with host Senegal beating Ghana on penalties after a 1-1 draw after extra time in the West African Regional Tournament. Most of the players there were home-based, just a few foreign-based players, and most teams didn't use their usual coach for the tournament. Somewhat surprisingly, all 22 matches in the 16-day-long tournament were played on the same pitch, in the city of Thies, which is some 72 kilometres east of the capital, Dakar. This was a grass pitch, not an artificial one. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba was there, and after the tournament, he spoke to James Deber, who's from Liberia, a former Liberia coach and captain, and second only to George Ware in terms of Liberia football legends. Well, Deber was there as a member of Wafu's technical study group. So Mamadou spoke to Deber about Liberia's exit from the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, and first about what he thought about playing a 16-team tournament on just one pitch. Listen to me, I, I have not at all. This is Africa. We're still struggling, which of course should not be like that. We should be evolving by now. You know, 21st century, we're still struggling. So this is Africa. What can I say? There's nothing I can say. You know, it happens all over. We have to accept it. Even though it's not decent, we have to accept it and uh, move on. Contemporary football now has evolved. But Africa is still behind. 
It's, it's sad. It's What's the problem? What do you think is, like is holding Africa like back? Infrastructures, for in some cases, the finances is, is there, but, uh, you know, you got to look at administration too. Probably that could be the problem. You know, it depends on the system. It depends on, it depends on the country. I can give you an, an example for sure. My country, we, we, we still lagging behind because we don't have the good, the, the real administrator in place. Now that we have elected Mustafa Raji, I'm optimistic that this young man will do pretty well. Because as far as I'm concerned, he's so far, thus far has shown traces of success, which I know he will, you know, continue on. He'll continue along that path. I'm very optimistic he will succeed. Of course, we got a president who was a former football player. And you know, he has to, which of course I know he will, he will do well. Because that's his legacy. He has to do well. Finally, what's your reaction to going out against Chad after winning the first leg at home? It's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Because by right, we always beat in Chad. Now, this is what I'm talking about, this present generation of players. It's very unfortunate. You know, we, we have to live with it. So that's former Liberia captain and coach James Deber, a real legend of the Lone Star. He was there at the Wafu Cup as part of the technical study group. Uh, so, Ida, let's start with the Wafu Cup being played on one pitch with 16 teams. Deber says we just have to accept it. Well, it is a bit defeatist, isn't it, Steve? At least, look, at least to me, you know, because let's not forget that playing on the one stadium was not the only issue. If you remember, there was the game between uh, Sierra Leone and Liberia that was abandoned in the second half. And that was because of power failure at the stadium. So you can see that there were generally some infrastructural and organizational issues. And listening into Deba there, you know, some would say that he is being realistic. But I choose to look at it, Steve, from the other side of the coin. You know, we should never... African or not, we should never accept mediocrity as a state of being. And, you know, in all honesty, this sort of attitude might just be the reason that African football has sunk as low as it has. And going back to the pitch issues, yeah, the pitch definitely took a beating. And considering that this was a new look wafu, you know, where... The format changed, you know, where the teams weren't being eliminated after the first round and instead were going on to play in the plate, you know, sort of like a rugby format. That means that all 16 teams played at least twice. And looking at the schedule, there were at least two games held every day, Steve, at least before the quarterfinals started. And the main reason for all of this, you know, news from the ground was that the two main stadiums were being rehabilitated. So the stadium where the Wafu tournament was held was literally the only one that was available. And, you know, looking at the other side, funnily enough, um, you know, the Ghana coach, Maxwell Cornedu, was actually asked about uh, the situation to do with the pitch. And he said that it wasn't a problem. And he said that, you know, other people participating in the, the championship hadn't also found it to be a problem. So maybe it's just us. Maybe it's just me. But, you know, Deba there mentioned uh, administration. And I do think that more needed to be demanded from the LOC. And looking at the final, it must have been some form of small retribution for Senegal to finally win 
a final, Steve, you know. So, you know, congratulations to them. And here's to hoping that the next edition will have a few more pitches and a few more stadiums to play in. Yeah, absolutely. And for Senegal in major finals, they lost the Africa Cup of Nations final in 2002 and this year, as well as three under 20 Africa Cup of Nations finals. So a deserved victory for them there. Now, as we heard from uh, James Deber, who's from Liberia, pretty shocking that Liberia were knocked out last weekend in the preliminary round of 2021 Africa Cup of Nations qualifying, losing to Chad. Uh, This Ida, a country whose president is George Weah, the only African ever to be crowned the World Footballer of the Year. It's actually not that shocking, if you think about it, Steve, because, yes, Liberia, you know, might have produced... Africa's Ballon d'Or winner, Africa's only Ballon d'Or winner to date, that being George Ware. But if you do look at the history of the country, first and foremost, Liberia have never gotten to the World Cup and uh, they've only qualified for the African Cup of Nations twice. That can tell you something about the state of football in Liberia. And, you know, just adding to the mix, I do believe as well the internal wrangles have really not helped the situation because, you know, just days to the qualifiers, Steve, we saw much more experienced players quitting the national team. And it's been a state, if you will, of uh, a tug of war between the players and the Liberian Football Association, where the LFA is saying one thing and uh, the players are saying another. So it's a case of uh, he said, she said this, you know. And um, for the much more experienced players, the veterans, if you will, the likes of uh, Jabor and the likes of Anthony Lafour, who Lafour is fighting for his starting position in Mamelodi Sundowns and now has quit the Liberian national team. So you can see it's it's a state of confusion and it's a state whereby, you know, there's just a lot going on, a lot of wrangling going on. You look at the coach, Steve, uh, that being Peter Butler. He was appointed, his main mandate of appointment was to have the team qualify for the 2021 Afghan edition in Cameroon. And that's not happened. So it will also be interesting times to see whether he will be allowed, you know, to basically work out the rest of his contract. It was a short one. Uh, It was a year's worth of a contract. So it will also be very interesting times to see how that will play out. And Steve, it also does say a lot that, you know, Africa's only Ballon d'Or winning son, if you will, George Ware, It says a lot that his own sons chose to play nationally for the USA. So that can also tell you how they deem the state of football, you know, back here in the motherland. And focusing, you know, still on the qualifiers, but slightly away from uh, the Liberia situation, Steve. It was also very interesting to see the likes of South Sudan and uh, Sao Tome also advance to the qualifying groups because, especially with a team like Sao Tome, ranked 190th in the world. So, you know, some people might say that they are punching a bit above their weight. But look, they might be in it with the big boys. But if there's anything, I think, this year in African football tortoise, especially with the Nations Cup in Egypt, it was you cannot underrate any team. Look at what Madagascar came and showed the continent and the world, you know getting all the way to the quarterfinals. So a few interesting surprise packages, Steve, and uh, the qualifying group stage does look like it'll be very interesting. 
And the group stage starts next month. I must say it feels like the Nations Cup in Egypt has only just finished, but the road to Cameroon 2021 is well and truly underway. And this weekend we have the second legs of the final qualifying round for the CHAN, the African Nations Championship. Now that tournament that's like the Nations Cup but only for home-based players. Cameroon also hosting the finals of that tournament next year. And at the end of this month, the Under-17 World Cup begins in Brazil. News in the build-up is that Etienne Eto, the son of African football legend Samuel Eto, will not play at the tournament. He was left out of the final 21-man Cameroon squad. Eto, along with Roma forward Barel Fozzo, are in a group of Europe-based players who have not made the squad. Eto is on the books of Spanish giants Mallorca. He joined Cameroon for a training camp in Brasilia in Brazil, but a decree signed by Cameroon's president Paul Beer some five years ago says that the country's under-15 and under-17 teams should be reserved solely for players in the domestic championships in Cameroon. Uh, a bold decision, I must say, as there are so many talented players with African roots not living in the country of their origin but elsewhere, but eligible to play for African countries. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Also, you can listen on our New Look website, planetsport.tv, and our other shows are there too. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. If you are a rugby fan, we have podcasts from the Rugby World Cup in Japan, where the quarterfinals are being played this weekend. And uh, you can listen to that on the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast app or go to the website, planetsport.tv. Also on our website, interviews with various sports stars, including Christian Achu, Patson Daka, Collins Fai, and Kaka. And that's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and it's early days in the English Premier League, but Liverpool have a huge eight point lead over Manchester City with eight games gone. Uh, 30 more matches to play, though. So last week we asked Can Man City catch up, or are Liverpool already set to become the champions? Will the Reds drop that many points, or can the citizens win almost all of their remaining 30 games? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments. Yes, thanks, Steve. And we start today with Alagi T. Cham in The Gambia, who says, yes, sure they can. They still have more games ahead, and I hope they can learn from their mistakes and prevent defeats to catch up with Liverpool. As we've seen, it happened last year. Liverpool took an early lead, but then at the end, Manchester City ends up becoming the champions. And in Uganda, Mandy Wab Francis also believes City can overtake their rivals. Yes, I believe that Man City will catch up and even win the league, says Mande. But Usman, the special one in the Gambia, is not so sure. It's football and nobody can predict what will happen because the EPL is more competitive than any other league in this world, says Usman. I hope City can bounce back because, if you look at last year, mid-season Liverpool led by 7 or 8 points. Then they visited the champions and they lost the game by two goals to one. And at the end of the season, City were crowned the champions. Bime Robertson in Cameroon says, The thing right now is that Liverpool are on top of their game, with so much luck as well and no major injuries. But I can't say for sure whether they can keep it up. I know that 30 games is a lot, so there's still all to play for. Arena Ichwe Emi in Uganda says, With the Premier League, everything is possible. So far, Liverpool haven't played most of the top clubs and the league has just started. 
And we always welcome your voice notes on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Mohamed Sane in The Gambia. Yeah, actually, I think it's too early to predict the EPL at this moment because it's a long way. But when we look at the way Liverpool are playing, they are showing more hunger than their rivals Manchester City. I knew I'm going for Liverpool and I think last year they fought till the end in which many were tipping them to win the EPL. So Mohamed there tipping Liverpool to hold on to their lead. And by Maro Albert Canu in Sierra Leone agrees. It would not be easy for Man City to catch Liverpool. This is not like the past season, says Bymaro. Another who believes Liverpool will hold on is Dems Kande in the Gambia. Manchester City, with their current form, have no hope of winning all their remaining 30 matches, says Dems. I don't see Liverpool losing, so probably they will be the EPL winners this season. And here's another voice note now from Modu Mr. Jack in the Gambia. I think this year Liverpool stand a better chance in order to win, considering the fixtures and how the team is playing. They fight like the winner. They play like you know a team that is ever ready to win. And I believe Man City, they really, really find it very difficult to catch up with Liverpool. So Modu also saying that City will not be able to overcome Liverpool this season. But Patrick Mwamlima in Malawi disagrees. Yes, City do have a chance because of the depth of their squad, says Patrick. Liverpool will have big problems with any injury to their key players. And they also have a tendency of losing points over the festive period. And across the border from Patrick in Zambia, Moses Bebezuze agrees. Yes, City will catch them, says Moses. Just because they lost to Wolves, it doesn't mean they have lost the league. And Basiro Salah in the Gambia also advises against writing off the citizens. I think Pep is more focused on winning the Champions League, though City's backline is not that strong in the absence of Stones and Laporte. However, never rule City out of the title race, says Basiru. But overall, it's interesting, Steve, that many of our correspondents this week feel it's still too early to tell. Makondu Harawa in Malawi here speaks for many. You know, football is a very tricky game, says Mkondu. It needs maturity, focus and experience, and most of all, it needs luck. If all things go well, Liverpool are favourites for the title, but we can't write off Man City yet, considering the depth of their squad. As far as I can see it, it is still game on. But the final word this week goes to Mamadou Bijalo in the Gambia. It will be difficult to predict, says Mamadou. Even Chelsea stand a chance to win the EPL, really. And I think, Steve, that Mamadou's put his finger on a very valid point there. At this stage, in such a competitive league, and with still 30 games to go, it's probably too early to discount any of the top eight or ten teams yet. Well, yes, but to, to me, I think it's a really strong position for Liverpool because even if Man City beat Liverpool home and away, the gap will still be two points. So it's crucial for City to win those two matches. I'm not sure if they can. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for all of those comments as well. Uh, staying with the English Premier League and Manchester United, Liverpool on Sunday is this weekend's big game with David De Gea and Paul Pogba missing for United in a fixture that has great meaning and great rivalry. Here's our European football expert, Stuart Weir. Manchester United at home to Liverpool on Sunday afternoon is an intriguing fixture. The two clubs have so much history. They have been the two most successful clubs in English football. Go back to the 1970s and 80s and Liverpool won the league 12 times in 18 years and the European Cup 
as we used to call the Champions League, four times. That success was started by Bill Shankly, manager for 15 years, and carried on by his assistant, Bob Paisley. And in that period, when Liverpool were champions of Europe four times, they really were the top team in Europe. Alex Ferguson was appointed manager of Manchester United in 1986, and Liverpool were champions that year, and again two years later. Ferguson famously said that his task was to knock Liverpool off their perch, and didn't he do that? It took Ferguson's Manchester United six years to win the league, but then in 21 years, 1992 to 2013, United won the league 13 times and the Champions League twice. And I think for that reason, even though Manchester City are United's nearest neighbours, their greatest rivalry tends to be with Liverpool. When Liverpool were champions in 1990 for the 12th time in 18 years, who would have guessed that 29 years later, they would be looking back to 1990 as the last time they were champions of England. And I suppose similar questions on a smaller scale could be asked about Manchester United, because when Fergie stepped down in 2013, it certainly looked like the end of an era. But who would have believed that that group of players that had won the league twice in three years would struggle not just to challenge for the Premier League, but even to get in the top four? Alex Ferguson had been at Manchester United six years before he was able to win the league title. But in those days, directors were more patient. In the six years since Fergie, we've seen David Moyes, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho come and go. And already questions are being asked about the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. As we go into Sunday's fixture, Liverpool have played eighth and won eighth in the Premier League this season. Manchester United, on the other hand, have only won two league games out of eight. While Liverpool are eight points clear at the top, United are 12th, not only in the bottom half of the table, but actually only two points above relegation. And as we said previously, it's their worst start for 30 years. Now, I was in a restaurant in Montenegro, part of the former Yugoslavia this summer, and all the waiter wanted to talk to me about was Manchester United. And his two questions were, why did Jose Mourinho fail and will Pogba stay? I'm not sure I was able to answer either question, but doesn't it just show the depth of interest in English football and indeed in Manchester United around the world? David Moyes, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho all came with good experience and reputation, but was the task just too big for them? Were the expectations too great? The question that no one can answer is what would have happened had Fergie stayed another few years? Could he have got more out of that group of players than the new managers? But coming back to Sunday, Liverpool will go into the game full of confidence and with every reason for that confidence, preserving their 100% record with a 95th minute penalty against Leicester in their last game shows that momentum is with them. And United are under more pressure than I can remember. As well as their abysmal league form, they've struggled in the Europa League and in the League Cup as well. It's an obvious thing to say, but they're simply conceding too many goals and not scoring enough. Harry Maguire was signed in the summer for a big fee to marshal the defence. He's done all right, but not outstandingly. And he alone perhaps cannot transform a poor defence into a great one. And up front, they look threadbare. Romelu Lukaku sold in the summer, Anthony Martial injured, 
Marcus Rashford has only scored one goal from open play this season. And Paul Pogba has only played five of the eight league games, made little impact. And there remains speculation as to whether he will go in the January window. Defeat at home to Liverpool is unthinkable for Manchester United, but it's hard to argue with any confidence for a United win. Yes, and it looks like the pressure is really mounting on Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It'll be even more if he loses. And indeed, as you say, they're surely Liverpool are the strong favourites to win that game. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, Elsewhere this weekend in the English Premier League, the late game on Saturday, Manchester City playing away to Crystal Palace and a Palace in sixth, having done really well so far this season. Uh, Before that, the games include Tottenham playing Watford, Chelsea at home to Newcastle and Leicester to play Burnley. Both of those teams are performing above expectations. Leicester in fourth and Burnley are in seventh. Uh, Man United Liverpool is the only game in the Premier League on Sunday. Uh, there's a Monday night match as Arsenal play away to Sheffield United. Uh, the Gunners third at the moment and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang having won the Premier League Player of the Month award for September. And the UEFA Champions League is back on Tuesday and on Wednesday. On Tuesday, Real Madrid playing away to Galatasaray. Man City at home to Atalanta. Wednesday fixtures include Barcelona playing away to Slavia Prague and Liverpool are away to Genk so lots to look forward to in the coming days well that's it for this week so from me Steve Vickers in Harare from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production